You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. All right, I am here. Aaron's here. Tommy's back from Houston, but he's calling in because it was probably a late night getting back, and and he's going to he's gonna tell us all about what it was like to be there. But I'm going to start a, start the show off with a question for both of you. Given that more likely than not, Strasburg's going to opt out and become a free agent, and that Anthony Rendon's going to be a free agent, if you could only choose one to have back, if I told you right now that only one of them re-signed and stayed in Washington, which one would you want it to be? Well, for me, that, that's pretty easy. It would be Strasburg, because starting pitchers who win 18 games a year and are as unhittable as he is sometimes are much harder to come by than position players who are great. Uh, I mean, and I know Strasburg is, is 31, and, it, you know, he did have the Tommy John surgery, you know, about, what, nine, ten years ago now, but he shows no sign of wear and tear. And I, I want to keep both of them, but I think Rendon is, is more replaceable. That's my answer, too. Uh, not to mention the fact that you've got Soto, Robles, Trey Turner, still a really good young nucleus for a team. But I'll take the dominant starting pitcher, who, by the way, has already proven to be dominant in your biggest games and maybe the best big game pitcher in the game and maybe entering the prime years of his career the next year to three years. I'll take Strasburg. It's a tough, tough choice, but I'll take Strasburg. Aaron, who would you take? I think I'd lean Strasburg. The the argument for Rendon would simply be that with Strasburg, yes, he's entering the prime, but pitchers can, you know, fall off a little quicker than position players. Rendon is also entering his prime very clearly, and you could see him being at this level for the next, you know, potentially eight to ten years. So that would be the argument for Rendon, but I think I'm inclined to say Strasburg, plus the fact that, you know, just in my head – if one of them's leaving, it's probably if only one of them leaving, it's probably Rendon anyway. So I've kind of already resigned myself to that. Do both of you feel like Anthony Rendon's a top five player in the sport? Position player? Yeah, position player. Because that's what I've heard here for twenty four hours from all of the baseball people. Is he's a top three to top five player in the sport? Is he that good, Tommy? Uh, I think he. If he's not, he's right on the edge. Uh, I mean, what he did in 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 in, in the in the elimination games in this postseason was remarkable. His 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 batting in uh, the late innings in the elimination games are, are I mean, like doubles, home runs, doubles, walks, home no, runs. It's incredible. I mean, it really is incredible. His defense is 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 incredible as well. Uh, he. Uh, he seems to stay healthy now the last couple of years. Uh, you know, the thing is, though, uh, we could be talking a year from now that one of his teammates, Juan Soto, is in that top five list. Right. Yeah, good. You know, but so, you know, I mean, he's right on the edge if he's not there. Um, so let me ask this to you, Tommy. Do you think they're going to have both of these guys back? And if not, which is the more likely to be back? Uh, I hope I'm wrong because I've been wrong about everything this postseason. Uh, I don't think Rendon is coming back. 
because uh, he's such a hard read. I don't know what to make of him. I mean, here, here here's this kid uh, who who didn't hated talking to the media, and in, in the post game celebration on the field, I mean, stood there and 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 talked to reporters until uh, the PR people had to drag him away. You know, I mean, he was so. I mean, he's such he's such a difficult read, but like I said, he's a Boris client. It only takes one owner by Scott Boris to convince that Anthony Rendon is the key to his team's future, and he should overpay him a lot of money. And the learners have not – the learners have been inclined to pay guys, but not overpay guys. And, uh, you know, not make the offer that you can't refuse to keep a guy. Uh, there's not that many instances of it. I just don't think they're up for it. I think Boris will find an owner who's willing to do that. And I don't know how much Rendon really loves playing here compared to Strasburg, who I think loves being here, moved his family here to Washington last year, and I don't think it's going anywhere. You know, I know what you're saying about the learners, but I also think that this is unchartered territory. You know, a championship team, the thrill that went with it, the massive disappointment if Anthony Rendon's not not back here. I would think that this is the guy that they would overpay to bring back, given the situation and the context. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe they got what they needed, and they're fine now, and and uh, that gives them more reason not to overpay him because they've already gotten uh, the title for uh, for the old guy. Um, but I, I, my guess is both of them are going to be back somehow, some way. It is interesting what you said about Rendon. I don't have a problem with him sticking around talking to media for hours upon hours. He was the world champion, and he was unbelievable. Yeah, no. Over you know in yeah. in the postseason. No, I know you weren't saying that you had a problem with it, but I'm just uh, yeah. I'm just saying that you know if he ends up becoming a little bit more extroverted um, because of the success in this postseason, I'm fine with that. But um, I, I I don't know I I've, I've a, I have a weird feeling that the learners are not going to want to open up the 2020 season as the defending champion without Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg. I just think that both I, of them somehow are going to be on the roster. I say I think you you could be right. I mean, I'm not adamant about it. You know, uh, I I I have no feel about what Rendon w- will do. I have no feel as to how much he he really would would like to stay here, or uh, how willing the the learners would be. I mean, you know, but if he stayed here, it wouldn't surprise me. I just think of the two, he's the more unpredictable. All right, what was it like to be there on Tuesday and Wednesday night? Well, I mean, I can't even remember Tuesday night. Because Wednesday <laughs> yeah. night was, was so unbelievable. Because, I mean, again, like, you know, like for, for the wild card game, I had a story written about them losing yeah. that w- I thought was terrific. I had a story about them losing the World Series in Game 7 that, I th- that was ready to go that I thought was great. And, and Zach Granke was writing the story for me. Because he was, he was on. I mean, he, the, the Nats couldn't get the ball not just past the infield, past him, the pitchers. Now. Yeah, past yeah. him. Yeah, they couldn't get, and he. I mean, they looked utterly helpless against Zach Greinke, and I'm thinking, and his pitch count is ridiculously low, and I'm thinking, you know, they're not going to see a reliever until maybe the eighth or ninth inning uh, with this guy. I mean, they're done. 
And then, uh, you know, Rendon hits the home run. Soto walks. Uh, and they, and A.J. Hinch takes him out. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm thinking, well, there you go. You know, there goes, there goes my... There goes my story, because I mean, this is what the Nationals wait for. This, this is this is who you know. This is what they were waiting for, and then they pounced on the Astros. So I mean, and that that was I mean, everything after that was you know the the Cowie Kendrick uh, home run off off the foul pole. How quiet the crowd was. How everybody looked at each other in the press box. And, 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 and acted like, I can't believe they're doing this again, that they're coming back again uh, in, in this, uh, where everybody in the press box except me was looking at each other earlier in the game saying, why are they keeping Max Scherzer in there? All the sheep were bleeding. you got to take Max Scherzer out. you got to take him out. He's got nothing. You know, this is, this is like throwing gasoline on a fire. This is what they do. This is what sports writers do. They all feed off each other. One guy says it, and then the other guy says oh, it. Oh God! And then it, and then it's become that this 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 travesty that that you know that that Dave Martinez is doing when he's believing in the guy who had gotten him this far and one of the guys who had gotten him this far in the first place. They have no idea of the conversations that Scherzer and Martinez are having back in the dugout at the end of each inning, and and. Dave Martinez, who, like I've, like I've said before, played 16 years in the major leagues, is always going to believe in players. Is oh, I mean, he's going to put his faith in veteran players in particular, and he he bet on Scherzer to get through it, and for the most part, he did. So, well, you uh, know, you know, Scherzer, and I heard this yesterday after the show. You know, because I didn't see the Dave Martinez interview with. Um, I forget who it was with on MLB Network. It wasn't the Pedro. Um, uh, uh, it wasn't the Pedro um, Harold Reynolds group. It was somebody else. But he he said Max wanted the sixth, and he said no. Nope, that's it after the fifth. So I hear what you're saying about the you know first five innings. And Scherzer didn't have his best stuff and it's stuff, and he was in trouble as he was in game one. But he kept getting out of it, and he was able to grind it out for five innings. You know, 104 pitches, 103 pitches, two earned runs, and you know there he was at the end going, all right, go get go get some yeah. runs now. But he wanted the sixth, according to Dave Martinez. And Dave said, nope, we we're, we got you now. We got your back. We're good. And and he came in with Corbin, obviously. And it turned out to be brilliant. Yeah, and I think most people thought they should have pulled him a lot earlier. But uh, and I, I understood, you know, their concern because I mean the Astros were hitting the ball hard, and it was remarkable that they only had two runs against. It was but, much more so than Game One. I, I, oh yeah. I mean the the second inning when Guriel homers, and then I think it was Alvarez and Correa. Um, and then, uh, uh, th- then you got the catcher uh, Chirinos. He's he's sack bunting, popping up, which was stupid on their part. Um, and then you got Springer, and that may have been the play of the game: the, the Soto catch on the Springer lineout to left, where Soto yeah. came in because that that's two runs, and then maybe Springer sitting on third if it gets by him. But I was sitting there in the fifth when he finally left, and I'm like, man, I don't know how you just did it. 
but you got out of here with just allowing two earned runs. That was pretty amazing and was huge in their, you know, in in their win because a lot of nights, maybe seven out of ten, you know, he's out of there in the third or fourth, having given up five or six runs. Absolutely, absolutely. In that situation, and then Corbin comes in, who I roasted in a column. Yeah, you did. A couple of days, and he was great. Yes, he was great. Still, I mean, the big picture, uh, he's not getting paid $140 million to be a relief pitcher. I, I understand that. I mean, his his starts were terrible. He, he turned in three great innings in the most important game of the year for them, and I get that. He deserves a lot of credit for it. But his line still in the postseason is 15 runs in 23 innings. And, I mean, they, the Nationals may have not have been in, in a seven-game situation, if Corbin had done his job as a starting pitcher. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, he turned in, I, I, I think, I mean, basically, you know, I think Davey was only going to give him an inning, but he he felt so strong and looked so good, he kept putting him out there for, you know, for three innings. So, uh, you know, I mean, it was just, I mean, everybody in the press box, just, like, they're, they're, they were just, like, in awe of, of how this, this this Nationals team had this tremendous ability to come back once again in the biggest, most important game of the year and had reduced the, the best team in baseball to basically quivering in a corner at that point. Uh, I mean, they, 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 they seemed like the baddest guys in the neighborhood in, at the, in the last couple of innings in that game, and the Astros seemed like victims. Let me uh, two, two things, and we got a lot more to get to on this. Um, first of all, I would take some exception to your um, your description of Patrick Corbin. For, first of all, let's not forget too that he came in in Game Five at the L- at, at Dodger Stadium and got four huge outs, three strikeouts, didn't give up a hit or a run as a reliever. So he didn't have one great relief appearance. He had two in the in the winter winter go home game against the Dodgers and also in game seven of the World Series. Number two is that the the start against the Cardinals in the game that completed the sweep, you know, he ended up giving up four earned runs in that game, but he pitched well through five innings. He had 12 strikeouts. I thought he pitched pretty well in that game. And finally, in that last inning, got into some trouble. But I thought he pitched well. But you're right. The other starts were terrible. But during, but if you told me, you know, $140 million for, you know, a 3.25 ERA, a 14-7 and seven, uh, uh, record during the regular season, and as the third starter, a guy that's going to save you in the two biggest games of your postseason, I'd take it. I'm not it. saying it was a bad signing. It was, it was a good signing. And he did his job during, during, during the regular season. But he was their worst starter in the postseason. Yeah, uh, he was. Annabelle and, Sanchez and, was a better starter yeah. than he was. Yes. Yeah, and, and I mean, basically the Nationals, you know, the whole thing was Nationals have the better starting pitching with this big tree, and he didn't hold up his end on the starting rotation with the big tree. I'm not complaining. Look, I, th- I thought it was one of the best signings of the offseason. Uh, I, th- I, think, I think it helped the Nationals get to the postseason. I thought he, he, had, he had a really good regular season. It's just that in those big moments when they handed him the ball as a starter, particularly in the first innings, uh, he, he, seemed, he, he seemed to waver, uh, to be kind. Yeah, but and- I don't want to look I mean, again, you're right. In the biggest moments when they needed him the most, he came through. 
Yeah, he did. Uh, and, you know, um, it, it's funny because when he came in for Scherzer the other night and he gives up an immediate single to Marisnik, you know, to start off the sixth, and I was like, oh, boy. But then you could start seeing that slider – that thing is hard to hit when he's got yeah, it, you know, yeah, in the yeah. in the right spots, and and uh, and and it was it was awesome there. So the the other thing that I wanted to just go back to was AJ Hinch because I wanted to tell you something because I think it's I think it's very interesting and is that you know th- this was you know the big analytics discussion you know did AJ Hinch pull him out one batter too early which was the right decision or you know or if he had left him in would it have been one batter too late you know all the analytics people were fine with him pulling Zach Greinke when he pulled him and Tommy I'm sitting there watching this and I compared it to the Sanchez start that that he had in St. Louis it's like this guy is fooling them on every pitch one pitch is 63 miles per hour and one and it's you have no idea where it's going to come and land and the other one's coming in just barely touching the outside corner at 90 91 like he is on this guy's got it together and if I were just a baseball fan and not a Nats fan that would that that was the best part of the first six and in, in, in a third innings was what Granky was doing because we were told he wasn't going to pitch well, that he was terrible in the postseason, that he had this huge ERA in the postseason, and that he doesn't really deliver in the biggest moments. And there he was. He was doing what Sanchez did in game one against the Cardinals utterly fooling them. And it was, it was just a, it was really fun to watch if you were a baseball fan. But when we got to that moment and Rendon hits the the only mistake he had made, the only mistake yeah. he made all night, Rendon yeah. hits out. And it's still 2-1, to one, and then he got a terrible call on the 2-1 pitch. It should have been 2-2 against Soto. Got a terrible call, goes to 3-1, to one, and you could see his reaction to it. You know, he was like, well, shit, now I can't give him a 3-1 pitch to hit. I'm going to end up walking Soto. And maybe he knew in the moment that that was it once he walked Soto there and he got the bad call. And the Nats got most of the bad calls through the first five games. So I'm not, uh, you know, good, good, good for the Nats to get a call to go their way in a key spot. But even me, Tommy, who I'm on your side, like to me, I'll take all this advanced stats information. I find it interesting. But to me, it's just one piece of information context so much more goes into it and personally I think in football there's just too much that isn't measured in football and basketball that the whole you know running a team based on analytics is just stupid to me and doesn't make any sense but in that situation I knew he was coming out and I kept thinking to myself well maybe it is the right decision to pull him even though if you had asked me that question a year ago or two years ago I would have said He's doing. He's gonna pull Zach Greinke after one bad pitch. He's got a, a two hitter going. Are you out of your mind? And the bottom line is, is that that is a debatable decision, I guess. To me, he had to come with his best pitcher after that. And if you're gonna tell me that you can't bring Garrett Cole into a game in the middle of an inning, well then bring in Osuna. Will Harris had given up the home run the night before. He had pitched a lot. You know, come in with your closer at that point. That would have made more sense to me. But what do I know? Um, bottom line is it didn't work out because Kendrick hit a home run. And he w- put put it this way, Granky couldn't have done any worse had he pitched to Kendrick. No, no. He could have. And then, look, I forget the kid's name. The kid who shut them down uh, 
in Zerkiti. The, uh, Zerkiti. Yeah, yeah. Why not bring him in? And that struggled against Yerkiti, him. Yerkiti, well. I'm sorry. Yerkiti, yeah. Urkiti yeah. or whatever they, they it was. Could, they, could, yeah. they couldn't hit him. Right. I mean, it, it was, look, I wouldn't have taken Grinky out. I just wouldn't have. I mean, I thought it was. I thought it was the wrong move. You're right. It's a debatable move. It's not like clear cut, but you can look back and see where the game changed, uh, and, and that's 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 where the game dramatically changed when when Greinke came out. Uh, and you know, it's funny because Dave Martinez, uh, you know, for for a Nats fan base that that was ready to roast him most of the year about his bullpen decisions. Yeah. He outmanaged Dave Roberts and A.J. Hintz yeah. in, 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 in the postseason. Two of the most respected managers on two of the, the, the two best teams in baseball. Yeah. The Dodgers and, and the Astros. No doubt. Um, by the way, um, and I didn't mention this on the podcast yesterday or the radio show. I actually went back and watched a lot of the game yesterday. It was so exciting. You know another big mistake that was made by A.J. Hinch, Aaron? In you know a three to two game is still a winnable game in the eighth inning. When Eaton got on in the eighth and stole second, how the hell did he pitch to Soto with first base open? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yes. you could you could tell that the because there was a, a mound visit before that if I remember yes, correctly. Yes, there was. And I bet you it was pitch to you know if you want to pitch to him fine, but pitch to him very carefully because the first couple pitches of that were. Not particularly close to he the zone. He hit the second pitch. He singled in the, the first, on the, second, the first second pitch. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. We were. I remember talking about that in the stands as it was happening. Yeah, that, that was the, AJ Hinch. Air, you know, if you think he aired with Granky, um, that's more debatable than you. Well, you got first base open after Eaton steals uh, second. You cannot pitch to Soto in that spot. And by the way, it's not pleasant to face Kendrick with two on either. You know, it's not yeah. like it, it. It's but you can't you can't pitch to Soto there. You got to try to get, keep the game at three to two. And by the way, uh, you know Cabrera came in and Cabrera had a chance to really end the game there, and they finally did in the ninth. Um, by the way, I went back and looked at this um, yesterday because um, I was on. I did a couple of uh, hits in other markets yesterday afternoon, and one of the hosts said. You know, it was really interesting about the whole Nats run was nobody did anything at any point in these key elimination games in their last at bat. You know, there was no last at bat drama, you know, with the Nats holding on to the lead. And in fact, in the five elimination games, which the Nats won, first you know, team to ever do that, the last chance at bats for Milwaukee in the wild card game, for L.A. in the game four, game five, and for Houston in game six, game seven, they never generated anything. Zero runs, three hits on, on 15 in bats. And it was like, I, I was thinking about that. Like, Milwaukee still had a chance down four to three. You know, the Dodgers, now the Dodgers had less of a chance down seven to three in that, you know, in that game uh, after Kendrick yeah. hit the grand slam. But certainly, you know, they, they, there was there was no threat. There was no last at bat threat like you typically see. In fact, you know, with the except, you know, in this particular World Series, even though I think it was a compelling World Series for a lot of reasons, there wasn't a memorable game in the World Series. No, no, you're right about that. But it, it was well, the Nationals made it a memorable World Series. That's with, right. With, with their ability to come back, you're yeah. right. And what's amazing is the eighth inning 
was a horror show for the Nationals during the regular season. Remember? Right, right. Just an absolute horror but show. But they didn't have to but use I the bullpen. They, I know it, but I don't think they gave up a run right. in the eighth inning in the, in the entire postseason. It, it, was such, it was such a remarkable performance that's going to go down in the record books as very unique and, and very un, unforgettable for, for a, a lot of reasons. I, I, and... Uh, and, and what's so great is, you know, look, it's just, just from an observer's point of view, nobody out there likes Washington for a number of reasons. I mean, you know, from politics to image. I mean, I mean, the rest of the country is not crazy about Washington, D.C. The Nationals became a lovable team outside the Beltway. Agreed. People fell in love with the Nationals, not just with their players, but with their come-from-behind, you know, style of play it just captured the, the the rest of the country and and you know they were the heroes in this and the Astros were the villains yeah I mean not to mention you had you know these incidents you know during the postseason right. you know with their assistant you know GM yeah um that made them you know a lot of people don't follow that stuff but for a lot of people it made them the the team that was easy to root against I agree with you I mean the yeah. Nationals you know, look, for, for its own fan base, for its own city, this was an incredibly likable group. But I agree with you that people sort of, you know, as as they got into postseason baseball, they're like, you know what, I like this Anthony Rendon. I like this Steven Strasburg. You know, Juan Soto may have rubbed some people the wrong way, but God, did he deliver, you know, consistently. You know, the, the bottom line is they had great starting pitching and then the, you know, the Eaton, Rendon, Soto, Kendrick, they generated 51 of the team's 78 RBIs over, over the course of the postseason, which is really remarkable, those four guys. And I, you said something that I wanted to respond to. You said that, you know, this is going to go down as very memorable for a lot of reasons. Here's the one thing I think it's going to go down as, and I don't think it's fair for it to go down this way. I think they're going to go down as like one of these all-time Cinderella underdog stories because they were. They were a massive underdog. But really what we watched was the best team. They were the best team from June on. They had the best record. They had the best run differential. They had the best starting rotation. And their stars, you know, Soto and Rendon in particular – were just better than, as an example, Josh Hader, the best closer in the sport. The, yeah. you know, the um, Jack Flaherty, who everybody was, you know, uh, best ERA ever since the All Star break. Well, Rendon took care of him. Colin Verlander, you know, they took care of those guys. And then the pitching. Uh, here comes the Dodgers, greatest left-handed lineup ever. It's going to be hell to deal with. And what did Scherzer and Strasburg do? They were just better. You know, they were better than these teams. Um, Aaron, you may be familiar with this. Baseball Prospectus, you know, basically ranks the teams in terms of the most talented and best teams of all time. Do you know that the Dodgers this year were rated the third most talented team of the last 70 years and the, 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 the Astros the best team of the last 70 years? Whatever that means. And the Nats beat both of them, and by the way, beat them fair and square with better players. Yes. They did. So that would be yeah, the one thing I would say to you. I, I hope it's remembered for the uniqueness of it, you know, seven road wins in the series and their eight and one road record and what Strasburg did and what Rendon did and all of that and what Soto did for his age. But this they shouldn't have been the big underdog they were. They shouldn't have been. Well, I mean that's 
that's what makes this season so strange in that a lot of people picked the Nats to get to the World Series because they were so talented going into the season. People thought the Nationals had the best postseason in terms of acquiring talent. And, and the whole Cinderella thing comes into play only because of the hole that they dug themselves in. Yes. Starting exactly. with the 19 and 31 start. That's true. And yes. I mean, that's, that's where the, the Cinderella, and it's not really Cinderella, it's comeback. It's resilience. But it's not overachieving, uh, you know, because you're That's right. The Nats are a very talented team, and, and, and they play to that level. They, they should be able to play with the Dodgers and the Astros. They have the talent to match up to those teams and, and play with them. But it was the whole, you know, Davey Martinez, you know, we want to go 1-0 and every day. Uh, that became their personality, and that's what people kind of fell in love with. No doubt. Um, you said uh, that you were wrong about this series, and you know if I r- remember correctly, what you said is that you didn't like them to win the World Series or go beyond, you know, um, that that wild card game because ultimately the bullpen would do them in. I mean, I I was sort of with you to a certain degree. Like I I, I understood that this was a major flaw. But, man, did Dave Martinez manage around it. And, you know, did we all learn something if we didn't know this before that it was a possibility? We've seen in Game 7s and in Game 5s, you know, uh, Game 5 of the Division Series, Game 7s of the of the, uh, the CSs in the World Series. We've seen all hands on deck. But this dude had all hands on deck from the jump. You know, he basically avoided the flaw and was able to do that over a one-month period. So, yeah. you know, because I don't know that anybody's ever managed that aggressively around a weak, a bullpen weakness like Martinez did. No, no, I, I don't recall any postseason where anyone's. I don't recall a postseason where uh, a team that would go on to win the World Series had the worst bullpen in the, during a regular season in all baseball. Right, and, and that's what we were looking at here: the worst bullpen. In baseball, even then, when they made the midseason trade and got Daniel Hudson and Hunter Strickland, the forgotten man, and uh, Elias, uh, they they got better, but they were still the worst in baseball. And he he did that basically and, and hid that only uh, only surfacing again in games that were out of reach right. in this postseason, pretty much. So Dave, Dave Martinez, right now. Is going into the final. One of the things that needs to be addressed is he's going into the final year of his contract. Uh, you don't like, ma- you don't want a manager to be managing as a lame duck manager. Uh, I'd be stunned if Dave Martinez doesn't get, his, get a, a contract extension this winter. Oh God! I, I mean, I hope so. I hope that they don't continue with the, you know, trying to underpay and. And truly, you know, uh, nickel and dime the manager and the g- general manager spot. I don't want to. I don't want to see that. They they just want a title, and Mike Rizzo and Dave Martinez get the lion's share of the credit. They had great players. Don't get me wrong, but yes. just think about Mike Rizzo. I mean, first of all, the Corbin signing was brilliant. You know, clearly, you you can't make that move if you end up signing Bryce Harper. Um, and then at the trade deadline, getting Hudson was huge for them. Huge. Yes. And picking up Cabrera. And picking up Cabrera. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Para and, and Cabrera, like he did. Look, I, I've always thought that Mike Rizzo is among the best GMs in all baseball. He's put a winning team on the field now for eight straight seasons. You know, they've gone to five postseasons in, in, in that time. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what, 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 you know, Mike is going into the last year of his contract, too. Yeah. It's not as big a deal for a general manager as it is for a manager in terms of, of the locker room. But, but, you know, Mike is going into the final year of his deal, and he, he would be in demand, let's face it. If, if he were on the open market, he could probably, you know, pick his job at some point. Um, parade is Saturday. That ought to be fun. Uh, the ratings, uh, they finally hit it out of the park with Game 7, which which I thought was, you know, I, I would have been really, really surprised had they not done a massive rating in Game 7, and they did. They did a 31.8 locally in Game 7. Um, which is huge. I mean, it's really an indication that, you know, we are a bit of a, you know, event, big event, you know, town, because games four and five only did a 17.3 and a 19 locally, um, which was really disappointing. It was explainable because it was up against football. And the bottom line yeah. is, you know, if you're up against football in a lot of cities, your your baseball number is going to be compromised. The Nats did a 17.3 on Saturday night, you know, up against probably Notre Dame Michigan and on game five they did a 19 locally up against the Chiefs and the Packers I mean there's no other way to explain the big dip in ratings for games four and games five uh, and game five but the 31.8 is you know a reflection that the Nats are the number two you know they're the clear number two and I know a lot of you want to say oh they're the number one they're the number well you know what right now it feels like it and by the way I wouldn't even care if they if they became the number one but you know if the Redskins had a wild card game you know, in in early January, not a game seven of a World Series or a Super Bowl game. You know, they would do you know a forty yeah. rating. You know, locally. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, um, it, 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 it would be that. And uh, I want to point out to people uh, in the changing uh, television landscape. Yeah. I don't know about every single game, but on most nights, the most watched TV show nationally. Uh, on network TV was the World Series. Yeah, it, it was. You even know? though, even though the overall the World Series numbers yeah. were way down yeah. with this matchup, yeah. it was it, it was still the most watched TV show show that night. Yeah, and uh, and you know, I mean, Houston numbers were better. I mean, the Houston a lot numbers better. Were, were, were higher, but Houston has had baseball for fifty seven yeah, years. Yeah, of course. And they they went to the World Series two years ago and won it. And they have a team that won a hundred games for the past three years. I mean, they have that they have given their their fan base a reason to watch and show up. No doubt. So, yeah, yeah I, I'll point out um, that first of all, and this is not a knock on the Caps. I just want people to understand from a comparison standpoint that when the Caps closed out Vegas to win the Stanley Cup, they did a 25.6. Now, that was not a Game 7. I would, be, it's, so it's not apples to apples. If the Caps in Vegas had played a Game 7, they probably would have done a higher number. And I'll just point out that the Redskins-Vikings last Thursday night did an 18.3 rating, and that beat the Nats in Game 4 of a World Series. That was a high. Yeah. More people watched the Redskins Thursday night than watched Game Four on Saturday night, and almost the same number that watched Game Five in a two-two pivotal fifth and deci- uh, fifth game on Sunday night. With that said, 
That's all I'm going to say about the ratings. I was praying that they'd get to 30-plus because I said before the series, I think we're going to see a 30-plus if we get to a Game 6 and Game 7. And um, look, Game Seven's the ultimate. I mean, if you're not if you're not as a sports fan that doesn't even care that much about baseball, if you're not going to sit down and watch a seventh and deciding game of a World Series, you're not even a sports fan at that point. I agree. So I agree. You know, before, seven, before Game 7, I recognized the feeling that I had inside. And it was the feeling that I get before a big championship fight when I'm ringside. Oh, yeah, I felt the same way. I, Could not yeah, wait I mean, for that first this, pitch. Yeah, there's this feeling in my stomach like I was, I was out there playing or, or something like that. I mean, it, it's, I mean you know, the, the nerves were so different than, than anything else. And it was just because of the moment, the, 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 uh, what a big moment it was uh, going into that. And uh, I look at this was a gift for me, this World Series, because the Washington Times used to send me to cover uh, the World Series no matter who was in it. Uh, and and, and that, they don't do that anymore. They haven't done that in 10 years. So I didn't know if I'd ever cover another World Series. <laughs> and to get a chance to cover this team throughout the entire postseason, from, you know, from L.A. to Houston, was really a gift for me, and I was so glad I had a chance to do it. I bet. I mean, but you you and I have both said, and I know a lot of people can relate to this, you know, big fight fans, there is nothing, nothing that matches the electricity and the feeling of being at a big-time fight live. There's something that nothing else matches. It's, it's, you know, you've been to even a lot more fights, big fights than I have, but I've been to a bunch of them over the years in Vegas. And to be there in the arena, hell, you can go back to, to, to being in, in the Capitol Center and watching, you know, Leonard Duran on closed circuit. It's the same thing. Yeah. The feeling that you yeah. have before a big mega championship fight is unlike any other, I think. It, at least for me, it's been that way in sports. And the other night, but when 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 uh, when they when Verlander was ready to throw that first pitch to Trey Turner, it was like, wow, this is this is big time. This is Game Seven of the World Series, and there was a tension there that was really really uh, palpable, and I, I loved it. I, I loved the whole run. Um, and it sucked last night because last night was the first night that we didn't have anything to watch or get excited about. But anyway, it was awesome. I, I'm. They are, you know, they're they're such. It was such a great team. It was such a great month. There were so many memories from the month, you know. And what you said, they were just so easy to like. And people shouldn't underrate that. I understand that if they were a bunch of bad boys and a bunch of, you know, guys that were getting in trouble but were still winning, they would still be embraced. You know, they would still be loved. You know, the bad boy Pistons teams of of the ninety of the late eighties and. 90s people love them in Detroit people love the Oakland Raiders but man yeah. there's something about Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer and Juan Soto even though you know some of his antics might turn some people off I I loved it every time he looked at a pitch that he got fooled on and, and, and sort of nodded and said all right you got me on that one it sort of meant the next one was going out of the park you know, for the most part. Yeah, I think I think I think Soto won over a lot more people than he turned off. I think that's true. I, I hope that's I, I true. Mean, I, 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 I I think he did. Uh, what's the and, most memorable yeah. moment of the month? What's what's the 
moment of the month because there are several of them. Well, to me, it was the wild card game when Soto hit that that bases clearing double, uh, and him him dancing off second base, getting tagged out, but he celebrated yeah. in the baseline. I hated that he got tagged out. Run. I know that, but but he did that to make sure that Rendon, uh, you know, didn't didn't draw a throw at at home. I mean, because basically he cleared the bases with with, with that double. To me, that that's the, that's the best moment for me. I mean, because that's when that's when every that's when it all changed. That, that's that's that was you know. I think that the, was when I, everything changed for them. I think there's a bigger one for me, Aaron. What's your number one most like when thirty years from now? When you and I are talking, Tommy won't be around. It'll be unfortunate. But when you and I are talking, hopefully, <laughs> about the 2019 World Series, knock on wood as I say that because I hope we're all around, what's going to be the number one moment that you remember? And I've, I've been going back and forth. I, I think it's Kendrick's uh, homer. The Grand Slam. The Grand Slam. I think That's my number one, too. Yeah. I, I think, I think that, But you, here's the other one that might actually, because it wasn't a game-winning hit, the back-to-back homers off of Kershaw. In the eighth. Yeah. Abs- I, that would be my number two. The, 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 the Kendrick Grand Slam was so dramatic, and it was the realization that they were going to advance past a point that they had not advanced to. Yeah, you know, that's so, true. There was something about that. It's like, oh my God, they're going to be in the National League Championship Series, and they yeah. just beat the Dodgers yeah. in Dodger Stadium. But Aaron, to your point, the shock of of Rendon and Soto back to back against Kershaw in a three one game that looked like it was heading for a loss and another disappointing exactly. you know, division series loss was shocking in the moment, and it was like, oh my God. They just went back-to-back on Kershaw. And it's like, what's Kershaw still doing in the game? And Soto's bomb to tie it, you know, and to, and to make it 3-3. Yeah. And by the way, Tommy, Soto's, you know, Soto, I, I'll give you another one. Strasburg's game six is, I'm never going to forget. Never going to forget Strasburg's game six. It's one of the all-time great clutch performances by a pitcher in the World Series to me. No, I, I agree. I think... You know, it wasn't easy picking an MVP of the World Series. Who did you and did you, you have a vote? vote? No, I didn't have a vote. Who would you have voted uh, for? I would have voted for Strasburg. Yeah, me with, too. With Kendrick being a close second. Kendrick being a uh, second. I think Rendon would have been my second. Okay, okay, but either of those guys. I mean, you had you had candidates to choose from, but uh, for for Strasburg, I mean, he he would have been my my pick. I mean, the the way he has changed on and off the field has just been such a pleasure to, to watch. And uh, it's interesting that the 2012 shutdown resurfaced as a storyline this time, yeah. uh, only for, for in the sense that the Nationals, you know, some people said the Nationals, you know, were vindicated by the shutdown. And Pedro Martinez, who had been a big critic of it, uh, apologized to Mike I, Rizzo. A- I saw that. Seven, yeah. You know? For, for that, here's let me just say this about the shutdown, and I never criticized them for it. I stood, I thought it was uh, the right decision to make. There's no, you can't be proven right or wrong. Of course not, because you, you don't, don't know, know what would have happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's you no comparison. Know. Right. Yeah. So what? My point is, you can't sit there and say that was the wrong decision. <clears throat> you know, as rather even if you can't sit there and say it's the right decision, nobody knows. It worked out. For Steven Strasburg, we think, but it, it's a thing that you can't be proven right, and you also can't be proven wrong, either. Uh, 
so I, that's what people need to understand about, about the shutdown. The yeah, critics yeah. who said it was a horrible move, that they're, just, they're, they're off base because there's no way you could know that. Here's what they did, though, and this is what I never understood, uh, given what's going on at Redskins Park right now, and I don't want to get into that We're going to. too much. But I know we will. But the Nationals, if they were guilty of anything, it was protecting a player. That's what they were guilty of. They were protecting a player. I mean, we criticize teams all the time for not doing that. And that's what the Nationals did, right or wrong. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, I mean, you know, it's I big mean, boy. It's big boy sports. I mean, you see, you're right. You no one's right, no one's wrong. But you could, yes. you can say, I agreed with the decision or I disagreed with the decision. And if part of the reason you agreed with the decision is you thought that that. That, that part of it was you wanted the team to err on the side of what was right and what was safe for the player, that's fine. If you disagreed with the decision, you can disagree with it and say, hey, this is big-time sports. He's making a lot of money. Uh, they, have, they have a chance with him pitching to win the, the world-effing series. That, that, that I disagree with the decision. Um, but you're right when you juxtapose it against you know at least what the allegations are about the Redskins, and we are going to get into the Trent Williams thing here uh, in a moment. I know. Um, but yeah, they erred on the side of hey, we we think that there's at least a risk that this wouldn't turn out well for him, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take the safe route. Yeah, and and that that pays dividends when when other players are looking at organizations sure. to play for. Yeah, I think of, that's of, probably of right. Course, of course it does. So I mean, there was, I mean, it, this was this. Was, I mean, I, I I keep calling it a gift for me. It really was a gift for. For, for you know the whole uh, DMV, uh, I mean uh, people people are, are I mean it gave a, it gave a chance for people to feel good. The Cats already broke you know through and did this two years ago, and we saw the outpouring of joy and happiness from that. Uh, there's a lot of that untapped joy and happiness among sports fans who had to live with with so many difficult times. For so many years, and uh, I, I, I'm just glad for everybody involved in the area. I think they deserve it. Here's a question for you: Give me the average age of the person in this market that appreciated it and enjoyed it and was passionate about it more than anybody else. Give me the average age of that person. Someone who really. This was the one of the greatest sports moments of their lives. Here as a as a washing as, as someone who's lived in DC for a while. I'm going to say 43. I think it's older than that. Really? Okay. I, I do. I, I and maybe it's because I talk to a lot of those people of the uh, of that age and and I, I think I've told you this before. This was so big for my father and and his friends. You know, guys that grew up here, went to Griffith Stadium, went to RFK, D.C. Stadium, and then RFK, and and lived through losing two baseball teams, and then didn't have it for 34 years. This, I think I've told you this, my father, and by the way, my, my mother's husband, who's also a native Washingtonian, they love the Nats more than anything. I mean, they sit there every night and watch these games, you know, over the last, you know, 10 years. They know everything yeah. about the team. 
And I think that it meant a lot to people a, a little bit older than that. Look, the younger you know fan, and Aaron, you're not in this category because you're a hardcore fan of teams and you're a hardcore sports guy. You know, the the kid that's at GW, you know, is going to be out on U Street celebrating because it's a chance to party. I mean, you got you're, you're in a city with a with a World Series champion. You get a lot of that, and I'm not saying that they didn't enjoy it and they didn't have fun. I'm talking about the people that really felt this in their heart, like this was a big deal. I think the average age is closer to fifty. You may be right. I mean, that that makes sense. Uh, on, a, on a lot of levels. But, you know, my theory about baseball and aging is that every all this hand-wringing about baseball's older population and that, and that they don't, uh, you know, they don't generate much interest among young kids. Well, all baseball has to do, I mean, all, all we hear about is how the population is aging, <clears throat> how there's going to be more old people <laughs> 10 years from now right. than ever before. Right. So, so slow the game down. <laughs> Just wait until everybody gets older. I mean, if baseball appeals to an older population, they're in a the driver's seat. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, uh, somebody once told me, you know, about the dilemma of being on AM radio in the years, you know, in 2017, 2018, and 2019 when AM radio is dying off. Hey, the only people that listen to AM radio are older people. Well, hey, we're getting older as a society. And by the way, most of the revenue generation in this country is from people older than 45, not younger than 45. Yes. But anyway, yes. Um, we digress here. Um, put a bow on it. Is there, is there anything else you want to say about what we just went through this month and the last few nights? Well, uh, you know. Or maybe you already I, did. I wrote, you sort of already did. Well, I, I wrote a column. Uh, you know, for a game clinching column, this is the World Series clinching column, that basically brought up that uh, the first day of spring training two years ago, when Dave Martinez uh, walked out on the field and, and announced that they would have this circle of trust, you know, and we all rolled our eyes about it, you know, we thought it was just some kind of new age babble <laughs> that the manager w- w- was, was trying to do, you know, it went with the camel that he brought to camp, you know, to get over the hump. And there, there was a lot of, of skepticism about it. But that was a real thing. That circle of trust was a real thing. Strasburg refers to it constantly. Like, like if, you, if you ask Strasburg to, like, if, you, if you're asking Strasburg about things that go on inside the clubhouse, he'll, he'll bring up, he'll say, well, you've got to be in the circle to know that. You know, and he's half joking when he says it. But, but the trust that these players had in each other and in their manager is what got them through that 19-31 and 31 start. I mean, when, when they did the opposite of falling apart, when they did the opposite of pointing fingers. So in, in a way, that, 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 that circle of trust that, that Dave Martinez started back then, uh, that's what held them together at the beginning of the season and is responsible for where they are. As, as much as anything else. And these guys, I mean, they talked about, uh, even Rendon talked about it, and, and talked about how much they love playing with each other and how much they, you know, how much trust they have in, in each other. That, that's, what, that's what gave them the fuel in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings when they were behind in, in that dugout. I mean, they never felt like, 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 you know, they never felt like folding or surrendering like other Nats teams did in the past. 
And I give Dave Martinez credit for that, that circle of trust and, and, and telling his coaches from the beginning, we're never gonna we're never gonna preach negativity here. We're not gonna criticize guys. If somebody's not good at something, we're gonna figure out how to make them better at something. We're gonna talk about what they are good at and, and deal with that. And I, I know, you know, I mean again, I mean it's it's abstract stuff that you can't, you know, you know, write down with with a pen and a piece of paper. But I just think that uh, the roots that Dave Martinez planted uh, with that circle of trust early in spring training two years ago is what got them through this year. I'm I'm always a bit surprised and well, I'm always a bit skeptical. Um, and but then sort of later surprised at a lot of this stuff. You know, circle of trust. A lot of the. You know, a, a, I know, a lot of the platitude stuff, a lot of the corny, hokey stuff that teams do completely buy into and they become actually very significant and uh, contribute uh, and they contribute to to winning. Um, I don't know. I, I I am all for I mean, a positive environment is always better than a negative one. I know that I know that from coaching young people that, you know, you're much better off in a and a positive environment than you are in an overly critical one. Um, and I think it applies to like almost any, you know, any athlete at any age, pretty much. Um, so um, anyway, uh, oh, I, I had one other quick thing because you just reminded me of, of this bunch of the interviews, you know, I, I, we, Aaron and I were sitting in here after the show watching some of them and I was watching them late on Wednesday night and all day yesterday with a lot of the players. You know, one of the questions that got asked multiple times and I thought the answer was very interesting was, you know, how did you guys, you know, how, how what did you think? How did you come back off of that 19 and 31? I mean, and everybody said the same thing. Like it, immediately they said, we were injured and we knew we were good. Like, we knew with a healthy team that we were really good. Like, there was never a doubt. Like, there were doubts from, obviously, the media and fan base at 19 and 31, even with recognition of all the players that were missing because they were falling so far behind. You know, um, I I even listened to um, uh, the play-by-play guy in radio, not Jagler, but Charlie Slows. Sorry. Charlie was on with Mad Dog yesterday on High Heat, and – and and Mad Dog said, so at nineteen thirty one, you're the play by play guy. What are you thinking? He said, I was thinking it was going to be one of those long summers, you know. And 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 I think everybody was thinking that way. But every player, and then I saw Paul Menhart, and I saw you know interviews with Davey and with Mike Rizzo. They all said the same thing. No, no, no. We just weren't healthy. We knew when we got healthy that we were really good. Like there was no doubt that they thought that 1931 was completely attributable to the injuries and the players that they didn't have, and you know what? They were right, clearly. Well, in that, hindsight. Doesn't, that, does, that doesn't explain the bullpen. No, it doesn't, it doesn't explain, explain the bullpen. It doesn't explain the bullpen, which they had to deal with all year, uh, and players had to come back to that dugout. Starting pitcher had to dress in the same locker room with guys who basically cost them. At, at some point, with blown saves and, and blown leads, uh, and that never affected the chemistry inside the clubhouse. Uh, you know, they well, they got rid of it. some they, of those guys. You know, Rosenthal and Barraclough, oh, some I of know. those guys they got that they got uh, rid of pretty. You know, because if they stayed with them, it may have been a disaster. They may have never been able to actually turn it around. And guess what? Those guys get World Series rings. 
<laughs> they do. I'm sure they do. Yes, yeah, they they're do. on the team. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, you know, the other part, too, right? You know, and, and I was looking at this the other day. When you go back through that 19 and 31 start, the bullpen wasn't good, but you know what else wasn't good? They weren't generating anywhere near enough offense with all of those no. injured players out. All right, well, that no, was one fun. last thing. One last thing. Yeah, go ahead. One last thing, because you mentioned them among the guys who contributed offensively to their success in the postseason. Uh, Adam Eaton, I think, is the, I think I heard this, is the only player in the history of postseason to have a sacrifice bunt in home runs in two games. Yeah. I mean, That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was a very valuable contributor as well. Oh, my God. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Adam Eaton ultimately went eight for uh, eight for twenty eight for twenty four in the series with like six RBIs. Yeah, and and, yeah. and look, the, the the home run that got it started in Game Six that that tied it was huge, you know, and, yeah. and, and uh, you know, and so uh, that that was. That was big. Um, By he, the way, he's he also big. he's he's my pick for the guy who becomes a legend this weekend with his antics. Oh well, actually, <laughs> you know what they all said. Um, uh, Scott asked Rendon. He said, "Who's the guy that's going to be you know uh, equivalent to one of the caps like Ovechkin that completely over celebrates?" And they all Rendon said this, and other players said that they said it's Scherzer. Oh, that's very that, possible. That Max too. is nuts. You know they're going to the Caps game on Sunday. Oh, they are. Who do yeah. the Caps play? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, why do I even care? Yeah, I but, <laughs> yeah that's that's going to be a big party there. You know they're going to try to uh, replicate, right. if out, not one up, the caps. Yeah. All right. Um, let me uh, let me do a quick read here for uh, mybookie.ag, and then we will get to the Trent Williams stuff from yesterday. I've got a smell test coming up uh, as well. Um, mybookie.ag is one of those places that you can rely on if you don't have a place to bet right now. Take my word for it. I wouldn't tell you if it's not true, if it if it weren't true. There are big shops, there are small shops, there are medium-sized shops, and not all are the same. MyBookie.ag is a big enough shop, by the way, and totally reliable. They've got a great reputation for fast payouts, solid lines, plenty of ways to wager, not getting locked out. You know, right before kickoff, you're going to have access to them for any game at any time, including in-game action. I promise you that if you don't have a place to bet, you can't go wrong going to mybookie.ag. Now, when you get there, use my promo code, KevinDC, K-E-V-I-N-D-C. They'll double your first deposit if you do that. Mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Use my uh, promo code, KevinDC. All right, let's get to the Trent Williams stuff from yesterday. Um, So, you know, I didn't even ask Aaron to pull the sound because – I didn't even use the sound of Trent Williams on my show in part because it was, you know, hard to pick up. Um, there was a lot of noise in the background. There was a ping pong game going on in the background. And so uh, I'm going to take a minute here, Tommy, to sort of summarize for those that don't know that Trent Williams spoke yesterday for 18 minutes and what he said. So the summary goes this way. Uh, for starters, he said that there basically was a growth on his head that he recognized six years ago, and he was told by the team and the team's doctors that it was nothing, that there was nothing to worry about, even as the growth continued day by day, month by month, year by year, he was told this is not a big deal by the team. 
Trent Williams also said that nothing was done about it until this previous offseason. So the winter of 2019, finally, he decided to do something about it, got it checked out, and it was diagnosed as a rare form of soft tissue cancer. He was told, and this is where, you know, I, I had this back in August um, as, as, as a report, um, and he uh, laid this out. He was told that he needed to get his affairs in order. It was the scare of his life. He thought there was a chance he would die. He had the growth removed. He was told he'd be okay, but, but that he was just weeks away from the cancer reaching potentially his brain. It was scary stuff. For anyone, it would be. He's got young kids. He had to contemplate there for a few weeks the possibility that he might die. Um, this quote yesterday from this interview with reporters out in Ashburn um, sort of summed it up. He said, quote, I was told some scary things from the doctors. It was definitely nothing to play with. It was one of those things that will change your outlook on life. He it closed quote. Um, by the way, he's conducting this interview, and he torches the team in this interview, which we'll get to in more detail here. And he's torching people that are right down the hall, literally right down the hall. Um, he blamed the team for not taking the growth on his head more seriously. He said the team. He said he doesn't trust the team. "Quote: There's no trust there. There are some things that have happened that are just hard to look past." Closed quote. And he went on and he said, quote, I mean, the lump continued to grow over the years. It was concerning, but there was no pain involved. But if I'm being told by the very people I put my career in the hands of, people who are telling me I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, that's how I looked at it. Uh, Trent Williams said that even that he even told doctors a couple of times to remove the growth when they were doing previous surgeries on his knee and thumb but they said, no, it's, it's not worthwhile to do it. But it wasn't until this offseason when Redskin doctors examined him and finally said to him during the offseason, you should go see a specialist about this. And he said, quote, they kind of underestimated it. It was far more advanced than they realized, and I don't think they realized how long it was there, closed quote. He flew on Dan Snyder's plane to Chicago for further examination, and that's where ultimately he had the surgery this winter. He needed 350 stitches and 75 staples on his head, and the diameter, he said, of the incision was about that of a softball. Quote, we literally caught it within weeks of it metastasizing through to my brain. Extracting it was the only thing they could do. Doing radiology on it would have put a cap on my life. I think 15 years was the most I would have had after I started chemo, so it had to be cut out, closed quote. Since that operation, he's had two subsequent cosmetic procedures done in the spring. His scalp, he claims and says, remained sensitive from the surgery. It said it caused him discomfort the other day when he put on a helmet for the first time, which is why he failed the physical. To which Bill Callahan, if you recall the other day, said that they are trying to find a helmet that they are customizing that will fit Trent Williams. Williams didn't say he would play. Uh, Williams didn't say that he would play again for the Redskins, and my guess in the reporting has been, including from J.P. Finley, that he'll never play for the Redskins again. But, Tommy, there was more to this, because I want to mention a couple of other things. One, 
He did say that he wanted more guaranteed money in the final two years of his contract. Remember, we've been debating for the last you know four months. Is it medical? Is it money? What is it? Well, he said that he wanted more guaranteed money on the final two years of his deal. The final two years of his deal didn't include guaranteed money. Um, the Redskins have long said privately that this is a situation, that this was always a situation about money. And he did confirm that at least it, part of it was about money. He said that they, he didn't need an extension necessarily. The team knew that they didn't want to give him an extension, but he wanted guaranteed money, and he said, quote, I've represented this franchise in the Pro Bowl the last seven years. To me, I would think that would be good for something, closed quote. I know you want to talk, but let me just finish up here. On him not getting traded because he wanted to be traded, he told the Redskins before their June minicamp that he wanted to be dealt, that he didn't want to play for them. And uh, the Redskins obviously didn't actively try to trade him until shortly before the deadline the other day. And he said about that, quote, when you give them 48 hours to strike a deal, it probably isn't going to happen. I just felt like that was done to embarrass me, to try to meet, to try to make it feel like ain't nobody want you. You're not good enough for us to trade for. I felt like that was the play more so than to get me moved. Um, he also said that no team official visited him at the hospital during his two weeks in Chicago, but former teammate D'Angelo Hall did. John Kime had some reporting that said that head athletic trainer Larry Hess spent at least a week with Williams in Chicago, and Kime also reported that multiple team officials called Trent Williams during his time before and after the surgery, but calls were not returned. He can't stand Bruce. He made that very clear uh, in this interview. Was asked about uh, the relationship with team president Bruce Allen, if it could be repaired. He said, next question. Um, About Dan Snyder, he said the following. I have a ton of respect for Dan. I love him to death. I don't look at this as being his fault. And then he went on to say that's why he didn't uh, go public before he could do it in length like he did yesterday because he didn't want people to think that Snyder was at fault. Uh, The team uh, made a statement yesterday, Tommy, that basically they've requested that the NFL's management council and NFLPA review the medical records and the medical care given to, to Trent Williams. Quote, the statement read, we have requested this review under the NFL's collective bargaining agreement that provides for an independent third-party review of any NFL player's medical care. The Redskins continue to prioritize the health and well-being of our players and staff. Due to health care and privacy regulations, we are unable to comment any further at this time. Closed quote. All right. You take the first swing at Trent Williams talking yesterday. I've laid out everything he said without having to play the 20 minutes of sound for you to get all of it. It took me five, though. Go ahead. Uh, like I've said all along, it doesn't matter what the truth is. And remember, according to Bruce Allen, he knows the truth. Uh, and he hasn't revealed it yet, whatever that is. It doesn't matter who's, who's right or who's wrong here. Uh, the Redskins did not handle this right. Uh, and they've angered and, and they've, 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 they've forced their best player on the team to basically publicly say that he doesn't trust the organization and, and wants to be traded. I, I'd be surprised if, if the majority, if not almost all of the people in that locker room, believe 
what Trent believes as well about this organization. So the damage is done. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you know, a part of why you probably couldn't play the the, the, the uh, audio was from what I heard on the audio. You had players in the background, you know, cheering him on. They were yelling, preach, you know? preach, preach. Yeah. Yes, they had his back, yeah. definitely. And yeah. there was a ping-pong so, game going on. Yeah. Uh, so I just think that, you know, we can debate what the Redskins, you know, whether, whether anyone visited him or not, you know, uh, if he's using that or not. But uh, the general manager has alienated the best player on the team over a sensitive issue that a lot of people can sympathize with Trent Williams about. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said, um, but I would say the following. Number one, I believe there's a lot more to this story. Uh, And I, I tweeted out before the Redskins made the statement yesterday, and people took me to task for this, which is fine. And, and, you know, that's the unfortunate nature of Twitter. There's only so much you can say in 280 characters or whatever it is now. But I said that the Redskins should should defend themselves if they believe Trent's words don't reflect the entire story. Even though people, you know, despise the sight and sound of Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder, um, if the team ignores this, most will assume it to be true. And many aren't going to choose to believe them anyway, but they should get on the record, in my opinion. Well, it was shortly thereafter that they put out the statement that they put out, and I actually think it's the right course to take. I I have not been a big defender of this organization when it comes to public relations or anything like that. I think they're stupid for the most part. But I think you know, getting a third party involved to investigate this and review this and then essentially come out with a finding, no matter how long it takes, and have whatever that finding is come from somebody other than the Redskins is probably the best way for them to go because nobody's going to believe Bruce Allen or Dan Snyder in talking about the Trent Williams situation. But let me be clear on this because I had some of this you know, during the summer and I believe that I, I'm, I'm still right on this. I think there's a lot more to this story from their side, which, by the way, doesn't mean that I'm contradicting anything he said. I just think that there's more to the story than what he revealed, even though I think probably what he revealed is very accurate or or mostly accurate. And the biggest part is that I think the team probably indicated to him far sooner than he sort of suggested that this is something that he should have looked at. Um, But Regardless, I would say this, in, in, if, I had, if I were completely in the dark as to this whole story and the first I heard of it was Trent Williams' discussion yesterday and answers to questions, my, my first answer would be, why didn't you go have, as, as this thing was growing you know, day by day, week by week, month by month, why didn't you go get a second opinion? Why didn't you go to to an internist? Why didn't you go to an oncologist? Why didn't you go to somebody that would, you know, basically back up the the assertion and lack of urgency from the team that they didn't think this was a big deal? I, I don't think that that's a crazy reach. Now he's young. He's an athlete. He feels great. It's it he it doesn't bother him. It doesn't hurt. I understand that too. That he's like, well, they're telling me it's fine. It's fine. But I think after a while, if the thing continues to grow, you would probably, I don't know, I would be. Um, but that doesn't mean that he would be. But anyway, I think there's a lot more to this issue. Bottom line here, though, Tommy, two things. One, they should have traded him. 
God damn, they're stupid for not having traded him. Not that they would have avoided this, because he was eventually going to speak, whether he was in Cleveland, New England, or wherever, and they were eventually going to put this statement out. But it was just so Redskins. And when he said, you know, and I I, I had already felt this way and and mentioned it a couple of times, that they're going to make this out to be that nobody wanted him. Like, you know, like nobody's going to pay Kirk $80 million, you know, don't you guys understand McLuhan's a drunk? They're going to come out and try to make themselves look good by acting like there wasn't a market for him. And he's right. He sensed that too. And it's just so stupid to have not traded him for a first round pick. They would have gotten a first from Cleveland. They potentially could have gotten a first very early on from New England. There was probably a, a really good package had they been open-minded and listened to Houston. Did you see some of the quotes that came out from other teams? Like, they're so oh, yeah. arrogant, we're not going to bail them out. Yeah. You know, They didn't listen to us. Yeah. And that's the reputation they have. Dumb and arrogant. Yeah. You know, and when you're dealing with dumb and arrogant, you almost want to see them get it stuck to themselves. <laughs> You know, you want to stick it to them and you want to see them basically, you know, soil themselves like they do all the time. Um, so no, no one was going to help out there at the 11th hour, and they didn't. But anyway, um, the great news is, is that Trent's healthy. More than anything else, he's healthy. That's what everybody should be pleased about because this Trent Williams thing for me, Tommy, didn't add to my feeling of how dysfunctional they are. There's going to be another Trent Williams story, you know, a month from now, four months from now, two years from now. This is who they are. You know, this is what they're involved in all the time. And it's just so interesting. You reminded me about Bruce saying that he knows the whole truth. Um, well, guess what? Whether you know the whole truth or not, your best player just, you know, no more, no less than 100 yards away from you just threw your whole organization, other than your owner, under the bus. That is hardly a damn good culture. That is the, that's the opposite of a damn good culture. That, that is, yeah, to me, that's the, uh, that's the thing you can't debate. I mean, right. you can argue who was right or wrong, who's telling the truth or who's not, but but what unfolded yesterday uh, with with Trent Williams doing that? I mean, general managers get fired on other teams for having situations like this. Right. I mean, so I mean, it's just, and you know, look, uh, we're talking about very personal stuff here, but I I've known people over the years who have you know died from cancer. And part of what they did, you know, because because they didn't bother to get things diagnosed and stuff. That's not that's not an uncommon human reaction. I know you, you know, you you would run to the doctor if if somebody, you know, <laughs> dropped dropped a, a little dot on you. No, you I'm know? not that. I'm not that bad. But yes, if if I had a growth on my head that was growing, yes. I would have had, I would have definitely been somewhere for somebody to look at it rather than. You know, a team. Look, there's a lot of trust in these team doctors. This is not a normal employment situation. You know, I don't rely on my employer to diagnose my health, but I'm not a professional athlete in an office or in a locker room or in a building with lots of trainers and doctors. You know, if you're around those people, you're probably asking them stuff all the time. Like, hey, man, you know, 
I have this thing over here. What do you think it is? And you trust them. So I, I understand that perspective. And I, I think there's probably a side to the story from the, the, the team that probably makes them look less awful in this situation. But still, it's a situation like it always is with them. Um, yeah. And they just can't find their way out of it. I do think it's interesting that that Trent you know, singled out Dan, and I mentioned this this morning, and, and the, the reason's obvious. Um, you know, all of his former players like him. How many times do you hear a former player say that they think they can't no. stand Dan Snyder? Because he's their buddy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's he their paid buddy. Him. He paid him a lot. He, took, he pays him a lot, takes good care of him, sets him up. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like uh, Clinton and Santana and, you know, all the play Cooley, all the players that I know that, that played for a Dan Snyder organization, they don't feel anywhere near the way I do about Snyder. But why should they? This guy was essentially like a, a big time friend that paid him well and never punished him for anything. Yeah. You know, and, and empowered yeah. them. Um, now, so now yeah. the other thing about about Trent and this is, again, speaks to the human nature of, of being diagnosed with something like that. When you, what, look, when you have a, something that you're worried about on you and you have a doctor tell you that it's okay, don't worry about it, you're relieved. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. You, don't, you don't go out searching for somebody else to tell you, to, to confirm your worst fears when a doctor has already said I, I get it. Black, I get it. Don't worry about it. No, you're, no, you're, you're right about that. You are. I mean, <laughs> I, I think that, um, I think maybe ultimately the issue is whether or not the team, you know, much earlier than he suggested, was maybe not urgent, but suggestive of you need to go see somebody and have this looked at. You know, and maybe to him that's like him, them still, you know, a lot of this could just be communication too. You know, I mean, he's he's a young person. They aren't really that bright and, and not very good at communicating. You know, you could see with all of this stuff where a lot of it could have just, you know, fallen through the cracks. But the bottom line and the biggest takeaway, thankfully, is he's healthy for now. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that's good. And that, that, you're right. That is that because is it could it could have been tragic. Can you imagine yeah. if something had happened to him? You know, oh my God! Yeah. And by the way, you know, in many ways, like I wonder whether or not he will slap them with a medical malpractice suit. I mean, he essentially said in that interview it was malpractice the way they handled it. Yes. You yeah. know, and he's. That, 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 I agree with you. He's lost a lot of money too. He he's lost a lot yeah. of money in this holdout. And you know what? I, I, I still, point. I still wonder, Tommy, why he couldn't have figured out a way to get on injured reserve and not lose one penny this year off of that kind of a surgery in the offseason. Yeah, you would think so. You're but right. He also failed two marijuana it. tests um, yeah. during the course of his career. He couldn't figure out how to how to not get that taken care of, uh, how, to, how to avoid that. Um, I like Trent. I've always liked Trent. I think he's a great player. I think he's one of the better players at that position in Redskins history. He's not the best. Okay, let's be clear on that. Joe Jacoby, Jim Lachey um, would be your top two left tackles in franchise history. But Trent Williams has been a very good player. I wish him the best. I hope for the best. He's not going to play for this team. I think that that is a long shot. And the team fucked up by not trading him in a major way, um, which they do all the time. They, they essentially let their emotions get in the way of – 
football decisions and influence football decisions consistently. They do that, and it hurts the team. It hurts the team. Um, and one other thing, yeah, I just want to point out. I pointed this out before, and I think I look for me personally, it's worth pointing out. I guess Jason Lockenfora was right, wasn't he? About what? About when he tweeted out when this whole thing started at the beginning of mini camp, I think it was when Jason Lockenfora tweeted out. Trent Williams won't be at minicamp. He doesn't trust the organization. Oh, He'll yeah. never play for the Redskins again. I mean, there were a lot of Redskins fans that jumped on that because it was locked for and, and, and didn't believe it, and he was 100% spot on with, with that. Yeah, I look, Jason, you know I like Jason, and I've had him on the podcast before. I like Jason. I think he's fearless. I think he was one of the best beat reporters uh, they, they ever had covering the team. I know a lot of Redskins fans don't like him. That's okay. I like him. With that said, he also multiple times reported a trade for Trent Williams is imminent, like it's about to happen, and he wasn't right about that. Um, but, yeah, no, going back to the original thing, and that was really the first time, that was the yeah. first sort of jaw – you know, dropping, you know, read or report that, you know, he doesn't trust them and he's never going to play for them again. And I mean, it, that was the, that was a pretty dramatic thing yeah, to report. You're right. I mean, that was, that was like nothing, no other, no other player situation. I mean, that was even different from Antonio Brown in a different, in yeah. a strange way. It's going to be interesting to see how the team handles this from a roster standpoint, from a contract standpoint, from everything else, you know, my sense is it, it, any way they can get back at him, that's the path they will take. Yeah. I, I don't see them doing something that benefits him moving forward. Not it, not if Bruce Allen is making the final calls on these things. Um, I think they'll try to figure out a way to get the contract not to accrue, so he's got two years left. I think, you know, Les Carpenter, when he said they're going to try to bleed him and essentially, for all intents and purposes, make him crawl back, that's, you know, when he crawled back the other day, they, they viewed that as a win. You know, they did. Um, that's how limited they are, uh, is they viewed that as a win, even though it didn't help them. The bottom line is for both parties in this, netting this out, because I want to move on to Haskins, netting this out, lose-lose. The organization lost, and Trent Williams lost in this whole process. Yeah. Except for Trent Williams, thankfully, had a surgery that per- perhaps saved his life. So I'm thankful for that. But he lost a lot of money in holding out. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, and, and this is why... This is why everything you said about you know, what they're going to try to do here, this is why they call Bruce Allen the Prince of Darkness yeah. in Tampa and why I call him that here. All right, so I don't know if there's any update on Case Keenum today, Aaron. If probably not at this point because um, it's still early. Uh, but if Case Keenum remains in concussion protocol through today, there's a decent chance, a decent chance – that Dwayne Haskins is going to start Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. Um, It's not what they want, trust me, okay? I've heard enough now to know that this is not the direction they want to go in right now. They hope Case Keenum's ready. They think they've got something to prove, and they think they're on the verge of proving it. And by the way, Callahan loves himself some Case Keenum. But they think they should have beaten Minnesota. They think they should have beaten San Francisco, and they think they got a chance to go five and three or six and two in the second half of the season to prove everybody wrong, to show everybody how close they were. And they can't do that with Haskins, so they don't want Haskins to start, not yet. By the way, I forget uh, if we've talked uh, after uh, I, I. I had this. 
this random thought that isn't so random, but I think the quarterback plan for 2020 is Alex Smith. And if it's not Alex Smith, it's re-signing Case Keenum. And that Dwayne Haskins truly is a long-term 2021 and beyond plan for them, and they want him to sit for two years and, and really learn. And they recognize that he's not anywhere near ready for a lot of reasons, okay, um, that he's not anywhere near ready, but they're okay with that because they're not planning on playing him until 2021. So they don't have to worry about whether, whether or not they made a mistake or not until 2021 because I believe they believe Alex Smith, the 6-3 and three quarterback, is coming back to get them back to playoff respectability in 2020. Um, anyway, back to Haskins. If he starts, what do you think will happen? Uh, I think what will happen is what you claim won't ha- what would not happen. I think he's going to play terribly. I think the fan base is going to turn against him. They're going to be disgusted with the sight of Dwayne Haskins if they keep putting him out on the field. And uh, he'll be damaged good. I think it's going to go terribly if he plays Sunday. But I'm all in favor of him playing now and for the, se- for the last seven games because this is how somebody – gets better by playing. This is how an organization evaluates a player with him playing on the field. And so I want to see him start eight games the rest of the way. That's what I want to see. I think he'll be terrible to begin with, um, especially on the road against a team like Buffalo, even though he's getting all the first-team reps this week. Uh, Earlier on the show, on the radio show, um, we did this as a call segment. I guessed 14 of 33, 168 yards, two interceptions, no touchdowns, a fumble, maybe a couple of scrambles for like 19 yards in a 23 to 9 loss. Um, You know, they haven't scored a touchdown in two and a half games. And I think there's a chance they won't score if Dwayne Haskins plays, I don't think they'll score a touchdown on Sunday either. With that said, I want him to play. And I think if he plays against Buffalo, that next week or in two weeks against the Jets, after you know having two weeks to get ready you know, during a bye week, that it'll improve a little bit. And there will be moments the rest of the way where you'll see something that you'll say, okay, this guy can really do it because he's got some talent. This isn't a guy without talent. And there are going to be a lot of terrible moments as well. But I disagree with you. I think the fan base, or what's left of it, and I, I think we really have to, when we talk about the fan base, you really have to add what's left of it. Because there isn't a yeah. lot of it left that's paying attention right. right now. So what's, right. what's left of it, I think absolutely will understand and be patient. And they may say, they may come to the conclusion, he sucks. But they're not going to say get him out of there and get Keenum back in there. They're going to say no, they're that, not. But, yeah, but 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 the damage. Look, for one thing, in two weeks. I mean, in three weeks, I guess it would be. No, it would be two weeks. I mean, you talk about him having two weeks to prepare for the Jets. You know who also have have two weeks to prepare for for Dwayne Haskins? Greg, Greg Williams. Williams. Well, not two weeks because yeah. I think they've already had their bye. Yeah. Oh, did... that's true. They had their bye. I think so. Greg Williams. <laughs> it's going to make Dwayne Haskins' life at home miserable okay. that, that, that Sunday. I hope. And, and, Redskins, and Redskins fans are, are going are, are, are to be so angry, they're going to take their anger out on Dwayne Haskins. No, they, they, won't think about, they won't think about, well, you know, you should put Dwayne, uh, Case Keenum in or whoever it is. Uh, it will be an ugly situation, an ugly scene that will cause permanent damage 
the Dwayne Haskins status on this team. Here's the one thing I, mean, I you, you were you were just uh, giving giving this fans these fans way too much credit. What's left of them? Remember to add that in there. What's left of okay. the fan base? Um, I would uh, I can only tell you how I would react, and I can guess on how the the majority of the fan base would react. I just don't think that they would be overly worked up if Dwayne Haskins, a rookie quarterback, had bad games and bad outings in his rookie season playing the back half of the schedule on a bad team. I just don't. But here's something that I just thought of that would be a concern to me. And by the way, totally in play. If he really, like if he starts and he's really terrible and they decide to start him the rest of the way because, you know, let's just say Case Keenum's not, you know, is in concussion protocol for a while. I mean, Jordan Reed's been in it for the whole year, um, or whatever. You know, he's felt the lingering effects of a of a concussion for a long period of time, so much so that he's on a uh, on the injured reserve. What would concern me is if he really weren't, if he really played poorly, and it's because of things that we've heard leaked, like he's not preparing the way he needs to, and he's not studying, and he's not the first one in, last one to leave. If they started to leak out some of that information when he started to play poorly, you know them. They don't want to look bad. It still would right. make them look bad. You know, this is the point they always miss. When they leak stuff up, leak stuff out that's bad about somebody else, it's always easy to sort of connect the dots back to them, and then they then they look bad anyway. Um but no, I, I, I'm ready to see him. I can't imagine that I would feel at the end of the season anything other than having a football opinion on him. Um, I, I would not feel like, oh my God, he was terrible against Buffalo. He's awful against the Jets. You, you got to sit him down. He can't do it. Let's move on. I don't think I'd be there because they're 1-8, and 1-9 and nine at that point. Just play him. Let's see what happens. And we've seen young quarterbacks look horrible in their first, you know, several games as a rookie and then ultimately be pretty good. It's happened many, now, many times before. Now, that's not true. You know, if he stinks up the joint this year, you'll be on them to draft another quarterback. Oh, at the end of the year. I, I'm not doing yes. that in the middle of this. I'm not doing okay. that in the next three weeks. If he's terrible against the Bills and the Jets and, and but, but, you know, makes a little bit of progress in the, against the Lions and then big step back against the Panthers, but... I want to see eight games, and then I will form an opinion, and then I will say, you know what, this dude can't do it, or he can. And by the way, even then, it would be premature, you know. Uh, but you'll have a gut feel at least. I have, I have no gut feel other than the feel that I had when he was coming out of Ohio State, which was I don't, I, I don't think he's a first round pick. That's what I thought. But uh, do I want to be right about that? Yeah, I wouldn't mind being right about that. Would I like to see? Would I also feel really good if this dude came out on Sunday and threw four touchdown passes and beat the Bills? You know, because because here's one thing: as a fan, I don't want them to win one game the rest of the way unless it's a game that he starts and finishes. Okay. That way, yeah. Do you understand? If he's starting and finishing, then we are. Then the Redskins are building towards next year and beyond. They've thrown in the towel on this year. Good for them. Now we're building. I want him to be the answer, Tommy. On many way, in many ways, I would love them to draft Chase Young and have Haskins. It be clear that Haskins is the guy. By the way, I, I continue to hear that while he may not be picking up this offense, and maybe some of that's on him, I continue to hear that he's very well-liked, that he's not an asshole. You know, and there were people, when you got towards the end of the season, they didn't say it, 
But certainly some people on that staff thought Griffin was a bit full of himself. No yeah. one has said that about Dwayne. That not that I've heard. Um, anyway. No, I, I haven't heard. I haven't heard it yet either. All I keep hearing is, uh, you know, the, the concerns about him. You know, they they would like him to be a little bit more enthusiastic about being ready to play. Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think they also need a better coaching staff to get him enthusiastic about it and give him something that will work for him. That is a big part of this thing. You know, if he goes out and he starts Sunday and he, he's not very good, part of that's on the coaching staff in my in my view. I just don't think they've got the sharpest tools in the tool shed that will figure out how to make it easier for him and give him a chance to succeed. That's my view on that. All right, uh, thank you. Uh, I got to do a smell test here and then get out of here. All right, buddy. All right. Okay. Hey, have a good weekend. All right. You feel better. Take care. Tommy's back. That was fun talking baseball with him, and it was great that he got to experience a World Series again. Um, quick word about the app. We have an app now available. You can get it in the App Store on your iPhone or the Google Store on your Android. It's another way to listen to the show. You don't have to listen to it that way. If you do, rate us, review us, and if you have a problem. Just tweet me at Kevin Sheehan DC and let me know. But I've been using it. It's been working pretty well. I think we've got the show out earlier on the app. You can still listen to it all the other ways you listen to it. You know, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, etc. Um, but anyway, uh, we've got an app. It's another way to listen to it, and it makes it easier, I think, ultimately, for you to listen to it that way. But let me know wh- what you think. Um, Redskins Bills prediction real quickly. If if Haskins starts, uh, they get they get beat easily. If Keenum starts, I think they've got a chance to cover. <clears throat> I could see like a you know a, a twenty to I could see a twenty to thirteen game. They're not going to win it. Um, twenty you know something like twenty one to thirteen, something like that. They're a nine and a half point dog. Um, I think that they've got a strength of of their football team that's going to continue to improve, and that's Allen, Ionitis, and Payne. And I think they're going to give him a chance defensively. And I know Minnesota ran it down their throats at the end of the game. San Francisco did the same thing. But I think that the defense is improving. You may not see it. It's what I see. I could be dead wrong. Um, but I think that the defense is going to give him more chances to sort of hang in there against some of these teams, especially the teams that struggle a little more offensively, like Buffalo, like the Jets. You know, in terms of teams down the stretch, maybe the next two weeks is their best chance to win a game this year if it isn't the Giants on December 22nd. I don't think they'll win Sunday. Um, But I think that they could, with Case Keenum in there, I think that they could keep it close. They haven't scored a touchdown in two and a half games. With Haskins, I don't think they will score a touchdown. I think it's 23-9, to something like that. 26 to 9, something like that is a final. Um, But that is what I would prefer. I would prefer Dwayne Haskins gets... Get started here for the final eight weeks of the season, and maybe this concussion protocol is the one thing that'll give him a chance. All right, let's finish up the show with the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell, smell test. test. Four, five, and one last week. Not great. Um, 55, 42, and two. Uh, the public's done pretty well here recently, although last night, Aaron, not a good night for the public. Um, I, I, I leaned Arizona, and 
I think – let me just tell you. Personally, I played Arizona, West Virginia, and Georgia Southern last night. I, had, I went three for three last night. I know I leaned Cardinals and West Virginia. Did I lean Georgia Southern on the show yesterday or not? I don't know if you made a play on uh, okay. or set his play. They weren't smell test picks, but they were leans yesterday at the end of the show. All right. Um, I don't like the card at all. I don't like the card at all. And I'm going to give you some terrible football teams, especially on Saturday, to play. So you're going to hold your nose and you're going to play them. I think Maryland's a massive anti-public side against Michigan, plus the 21. There is sharp money actually on both sides. I'm going to give out Maryland plus the 21. Here's how it happens, by the way, Aaron. Maryland can't stop the run. Michigan can run the football. And it's one of those quick college games where Michigan runs it down their throat, but it's long drives, you know, 12 plays, eating up five minutes, and they finally score. Maryland gets one or two big explosive plays and loses the game 24-7, to 27-10, something like that. Maryland plus 21. Air Force should not be laying 16 to Army. Army's had a rough year. I understand that. That line should be less than two touchdowns. Public is playing the underdog in this game. Give me Air Force laying the 16. Rutgers is playing Illinois. Illinois beat Wisconsin two weeks ago, beat Purdue last week, and now they're laying a massive number for Illinois, and the public... They love Illinois now. The Illini have become the new public darling, laying 20 and a half points against one of the the worst teams in America, who, by the way, beat Liberty last week. I'll take a flyer on Rutgers plus the 20 and a half. By the way, by the half point to plus 21. Arkansas is terrible. Mississippi State's not that good either. But Mississippi State should be bigger than a seven and a half point favorite against Arkansas. Public's all over Mississippi State. I'll take Arkansas plus the seven and a half. Let's go to Sunday, the early game, 9.30 a.m., all right, the London game. Uh, the world is on Houston Sunday in the London game, laying a point and a half to Jacksonville. I'll take Jacksonville and catch the point and a half. Uh, that'll be fun. Wake up, little breakfast, newspaper, coffee, bagels, football, and you're wagering. 9.30 on a Sunday morning. That's how you do it. And by the way, we're going to get you off to a good start with Jacksonville. They're going to win the game outright. Jacksonville plus the one and a half. Uh, the public is all over Indy, and there's very sharp money on Pittsburgh. I'll take the Steelers plus one at home against the Colts. Uh, the biggest public play of the weekend is going to be Green Bay uh, in Los Angeles, but really playing a home game. That place will be filled with Packer fans. They're laying three and a half to the Chargers. I'll take the Chargers on pure contrarian principle. No one's going to have the Chargers on Sunday. I'll take them plus the Packers plus the three and a half. Hold your nose on this one like I asked you to do last week, but Denver's the side again on Sunday plus the three and a half. No Joe Flacco. A lot of you will think that that's a good thing. They're home against Cleveland and that complete and utter punk Baker Mayfield. You see the the uh, the the thing he got into with a media member the other day that was talking about the final minute of the first half. By the way, he was wrong about that. Uh, he got into this thing with a media member who was asking him about the urgency or lack thereof at the end of the first half, and he blamed it on a penalty that set him back down in distance. It wasn't a penalty. It was a sack. He gave up a big sack. Didn't throw the ball away. Um, I can't stand Baker Mayfield. And by the way, I think he's really overrated. Um, Denver plus three and a half on Sunday late. 
Uh, and then on Sunday night, the game of the weekend, Ravens-Patriots in the Sunday night football game. I'll take the Ravens plus the three. The Patriots have played nobody. The public doesn't seem to care. They're playing the Patriots. But, my God, look at their schedule and who they beat. They have beaten nobody. Uh, they opened up with Pittsburgh, if you recall, uh, on opening day where Ben Roethlisberger basically had one arm. Um, and then after that, it was you know Miami, the Jets, Buffalo gave them all they wanted. With, uh, with Barkley at quarterback, in for Josh Allen. They came here, ran the Redskins out of the building in the second half. They had the Giants, the Jets again, and the Browns. They have not played one good football team. Buffalo is the best team they played, and they nearly lost that game. They needed a defensive touchdown and a big play on special teams to win that game at Buffalo. I think... Baltimore wins this game. And by the way, I'm not a massive fan of Baltimore this year like I was last year. I, th- I think Baltimore is good. I love watching Lamar Jackson. Um, he is the ultimate in terms of under pressure, nobody to throw to, no worries. He'll figure out an answer. Uh, I like their defense. It's improving even though they lost all of those players. That win over Seattle, their last game, um, was a big, big win for them. They had the bye week. They're off of that. I like the Ravens plus the three. All right, recapping. Maryland plus 21, Air Force minus 16, Rutgers plus 20 and a half, buy it to 21, Arkansas plus seven and a half, Sunday, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Ravens. There's your smell test for the week. Already gave you a Redskins pick. That's it. Uh, I'm looking forward to Georgia, Florida tomorrow. I'm also looking forward to the parade tomorrow um, and to see the uh, Nats celebrated um, by this city tomorrow. I think that'll be cool. What's the weather for tomorrow? I didn't even look. Is it, I know it's supposed to be cold. It's right? supposed to be cold, but I think as far as precipitation, it's supposed to be fine all day. Uh, let me pull up weather right now. Yeah, it's supposed to be 56, but sunny all day. So actually a pretty good weather sunny for Sunny and 56 on Saturday. Hopefully no wind, uh, and you got a beautiful day for a parade. All right. What do you got? Anything? Uh, yeah, actually, I did want to say one thing. If you're if you're like me and uh, you're spending all of your money or looking to spend all of your money on all this World Series merchandise. Oh my and, God! Yeah, my my boys are trying to buy it up. Yeah, I mean, I've been online all day, and every day, it seems like every hour, new stuff pops up that I feel like I have to get. Uh, there's actually some really cool products from Foco.com. They're specialized in bobbleheads, which, by the way, for me, my favorite type of any really? sort of merchandise. Bobbleheads. Lo- love bobbleheads. That that's been always my favorite type of thing but they have these really cool world series they have all sorts of cool they've always had cool bobbleheads including uh they had a partnership with game of thrones so they had a bunch of like mlb game of thrones bobblehead including max scherzer sitting on the iron throne right a lot of cool stuff like that but they have world series bobbleheads including basically every important player on the team with the World Series trophy. No Fernando Rodney, probably. I don't know about Fernando Rodney, but they have all the starting lineup. They have Scherzer. They have Strasburg holding the MVP trophy. They do have Gerardo Parra with a baby shark, if you're into that. They have all the racing presidents with that, as well as a ton of other World Series stuff. They're awesome, and it's not just like cheap stuff you might get in a minor league baseball game. It's really cool bobbleheads. So check out Foco.com, because that's stu- uh, the bobbleheads there are awesome. Spell it. F-O-C-O.com. Perfect. There you go. Uh, Thanks to Tommy for joining us today. Thanks to Aaron for producing the show. Thanks to all of you for listening to the show. Enjoy the weekend. Back on Monday, and we'll have a, uh, a Redskins game and a football weekend to recap then. Enjoy the weekend.